Welcome to Fido's Podcast, home of the world's first dog tap house. We are working to provide you a fun, welcoming, and educational social environment that inspires you to adopt homeless dogs. Here is your host, Scott Porter. Hallelujah! It only took two years, but here it is, podcast number one. As Hal mentioned, This is part of my mission to inspire patrons to adopt homeless dogs. When creating Fido's, I knew there was the potential to interview a lot of interesting and dedicated people in the dog rescue world, and this is a great way to share that joy and honor of meeting these people. Podcast number one is all about our charity partner, Oregon Friends of Shelter Animals. I will warn you, this is my first podcast, and you will hear some editing and rough spots. Also, this interview was originally recorded about nine months ago, and Oregon Friends at the Times was just developing a relationship with Debbie Newton of RSQ 209 down in the Stockton area. But as of today, most of the dogs and cats transferred to Oregon Friends come in partnership with Debbie and she has just been a tremendous partner and I'm going to have the pleasure to interview her the next time that she's in town. Lastly, at the time of this interview, Oregon Friends did not have a central location where they could intake process and do veterinary work. And as of June 1st, they did open a new office and intake center in Hillsboro. Again, I apologize for the recording issues you will hear, and that will improve as my interview and editing skills improve. So let's go back in time to late 2018. So today I am with Chris Hill. She is the president of Oregon Friends of Shelter Animals and also known as OFASA. And OFASA is our charity partner here at FIDO. So Chris, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. So let me, let me get started by just asking you a general question about how did you get started? Have you loved dogs all your life? How did you get started with charity and volunteer work? Uh, Yes, I have loved dogs all my life. My parents bred dachshunds when I was a little (laughs) kid um, until my mother couldn't take it anymore. Um, Always had dogs, always had family dogs and cats. I got involved in charity work with dogs after I retired from my day job. And um, I was kind of bored and my daughter who has adopted three dogs from Ofasa, said, why don't you go volunteer for Ofasa, Mom? Cool. So I started answering the phones there twice a week when we had the shelter, and it just sort of grew until now I'm the president and managing director. Wow. Okay, so you were answering the phones, was that like two years ago? or That was about two years ago. Two years ago, and you took over as president... Uh, 10 months ago. 
Okay. December 2017. So, okay. So tell me about uh, the mission of Oregon Friends of Shelter Animals. Our mission is to rescue homeless animals, um, as many as we can, rehabilitate them if they need it, um, see to their medical needs, and rehome them uh, here in the Pacific Northwest with loving families, forever families. So, Chris, uh, can you tell me exactly how did OFASA, Oregon Friends, get started? Oregon Friends was started by a lady named Kathy Nechak who saw a need to transport animals out of high-kill shelters in states where that happens. And it was in 2000, the year 2000, she started in her garage with a couple friends. Um, and it just grew from there. We got our 501c3 qualification in 2003. Uh, the shelter moved out of Kathy's garage in 2010 with the purchase of a piece of property um, that we have since had to let go. But that during the time we had that shelter, we also had a fully functioning vet clinic and room for probably 50 or so dogs and cats. Um, Kathy left about a year and a half ago. And we found ourselves floundering a little bit with upkeep and maintenance on the shelter, so we have reverted to a foster-based rescue, which was actually the way we began 16 years ago. Right, and I did meet Kathy because she was actually somebody that uh, I called when I was researching Fido's. So you took over about 10 months ago, and you are a volunteer. I am. You are a volunteer. I don't think what I mean Kathy Kathy originally made the decision to work with Fido's. Right. But when you heard about Fido's, um what were you thinking? My first reaction was wow, can this really work? Um a lot of the groundwork was laid between you and Kathy and between our development director and Summer. But I'm th I thought, this is really a new approach. This is really something that hasn't, to my knowledge, ever been tried before. The idea of having a corporate foster location. And I thought, you know, I thought this... This might just work. <laughs> <laughs> crazy idea. It's a crazy idea. It's just innovative. Um, you know, I can't really say anything more about it than that. It's a brand new way of looking at sheltering and rehoming dogs. You are you have been familiar with cat cafes? I'd heard of them. Never actually been to one. Okay. And uh, there is uh, the beginning. There are some dog cafes. They mostly focus on coffee, but this is the first one to focus on the beer. <laughs> I, like the, I like the beer. Well, this is Oregon. Are you this a beer is... person? Yes. Do you? Okay. Yes. Wine? Yes. More wine, though? Yeah. Both. <laughs> Depends. Depends on my mood. Okay. So, Chris, um, I've been working... I, I did contact Kathy. Um, it was over three years ago. But I've been working almost exclusively with you for 
about a year now, and um, I've learned a lot from you and from the charity and about dogs. Um, where do you get most of the dogs that come here at Fido's, but also the dogs that you guys adopt through PetSmart? Probably, and cats. probably 90% of them come from Central California, um, Stockton, Fresno, that area, because there are, for whatever reasons, people down there don't spay and neuter their dogs. Um, and that creates a lot of excess dogs, obviously. And they end up in the shelters as strays. They end up as owner surrenders. They end up as confiscated um, from hoarding situations. So do you think that a lot of families down there are, a lot, they're getting, their dogs are getting pregnant while they're at home and then they have they find out later this is too much to handle and they release the dogs as strays or I think that's part of it but I think also a lot of them get pregnant as strays oh once you know once their families have given up on them and do you know about I'm not sure I know of a statistic of the number of dogs that are euthanized annually Mm-hmm. Are you do you do you know any of those statistics or what, what what's your familiarity with the number of dogs and cats euthanized? In 2017, I think, which is the last year that there are full year statistics for, the number was about six and a half million dogs and cats that enter shelters. Um, and of those nationwide, about half leave alive. Wow. So we are euthanizing over 3 million companion animals per year. And there is no national... I'm, as I understand it, there are some organizations that are trying to um, tabulate and provide national numbers, but there is no national... There is a database... Um, I can't remember the name of it right now, but it's it's run by um, or maintained by several of the big agencies, Maddie's Fund, Best Friends, HSUS, ASPCA, and it is a data collection website, but it's dependent on reporting, voluntary reporting from shelters and rescue agencies. Okay. I think I've seen that, <clears throat> too, but I... I believe there's about they have four or five thousand organizations that are reporting, and there's I think it's probably, up to about seven. And there's know. but there, aren't there like fourteen thousand? I think there's like it 13 changes. Or, so yeah. I don't. I it's about seven thousand reporting agencies right now. Okay. Okay, so let's talk about the dogs um, coming from um, California, and let's focus on the dogs that you're primarily getting for Fidos, because you are getting a lot of dogs and cats for Ofasa, but they're not necessarily coming to Fidos, and oftentimes they're not suitable right. for Fidos. In the year that I've been with um, working with Ofasa, I've been fascinated at the process that Ofasa uses to get the dogs up from California. So... What is the very first thing that you guys do to find a dog in one of the shelters that you're 
use in California, like Stockton or Merced? What is the very okay. first thing that you do? Uh, the very first thing that we do is make contact with the shelter. Are you looking at the dog? Are, are you <clears throat> finding the dog through a website, a Facebook page? No. Are you? How are? How are you? How are you searching for the dogs from the very beginning? Okay. We have. Uh, Basically, two rescue partners is what we call them in in the area, boots on the ground, if you will. Okay. And between the two of them, um, they make contact with the shelters, or the shelter may contact them and say, "I have this great dog for you," or "I have these great dogs," or "We have dogs that are needing a new home that need out of the shelter," and those people actually make the first contact with the dogs. Okay, so these partners that you have on down down there, these are obviously people that are paid to do this. No, they're not. <laughs> they're not paid. They are not. They they're are two separate rescue charities. And they're volunteers. Yes, and they, they are. And they just do this because... And they're non-profits. Because and they love dogs and they want to try to make a difference. They want to rescue dogs, right. And when you say that the sh you said that some of the shelters <laughs> might call them yes and i'm the the shelters that are down there in california i mean california is a big state are these all county shelters some of them what is not actually a county yes they they are county or city or municipal Shelters so, and they are open admission shelters, which means that anybody can come in and drop off a dog, and they can't, they can't refuse the dog. So you can imagine their capacity fills up pretty fast. And they contact the rescue organizations, and there are a lot more than the two that we work with, that we work the most with. And sometimes we work directly with a shelter. We've got some personal contacts with some of the shelters, and they will even email us and say, you know, here's, here's five dogs that we think would be great for you guys. So this network and, and all these, the, the volunteers and the mm -hmm. email contacts, this has just been built up over a long period of time yeah. to, to learn and work with people that are in the yeah. rescue industry down there. So when you say county and city shelters, I'm curious about that because my limited experience is here in Portland. The only thing that I think of is Bonnie L. Hayes. Which is a county-supported shelter, yes. But are there city? I thought in all the dogs... In California, there are. Oh, they're in California. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking of um, Stockton in particular. Stockton has a municipal shelter, um, Stanislaus County has a county shelter also located in Stockton. Um, same goes for Fresno. And um, so when the dogs, uh, let's say that somebody surrenders a dog or um, the county workers or city workers pick up a stray dog, the surrenders and the strays come in to uh, a shelter Monday at 12 noon. What's the... What happens with the dog over a legal time frame in terms of whether it gets adopted or euthanized? Do you... um, a surrender is a little bit different. It, a surrender is almost immediately available for adoption pending medical exam and temperament evaluations. Um, the shelter can then put it up for adoption. 
um, astray. There is, I'm pretty sure in California, it's there's a 72-hour hold while they wait for an owner to claim it. Um, after 72 hours, the dog can be placed for adoption. Um, the euthanization kind of depends on how many dogs there are, how many spaces they have available. They, they really, really try not to. Um, and they will hold a dog for as long as possible, either for an adoption locally or for a rescue organization to, we call it tag and pull. To tag that dog, say, yes, I'm going to take that dog and I will send somebody to pull it out of the shelter. I've heard that Kern County, which is Bakersfield, euthanizes 4,000 a year, I think. I know they used to have a very, very high euthanasia rate. I think it's dropped a lot. Um, we have not gotten any dogs from Bakersfield for quite a while, but I know that there are at least one, two organizations up here that do pull from Bakersfield regularly, and I think that their euthanization numbers have dropped to like 20% from 70 oh, several okay. years ago. Good. So, um, so the dogs become available for adoption depending upon whether it's a stray or a surrender. If it's yeah. a surrender, does the, does the shelter get much background information about the dog? Uh, some they get as much as the as the owner can or will give them. Keep in mind though they might not even be the original owner. It right. may have changed owners two three times before it's surrendered to the shelter. So the two ch so you have some boots on the ground down there, and they learn they've either searched for or they learn about a dog that's possibly suitable for. Ofasa up here in Oregon, and they're looking for different characteristics that they know about you guys, of mm -hmm. what you're looking for in mm -hmm. terms of, do you guys deal with big dogs, large breeds? Some. Because we're foster-based, obviously we have limited capacity, and we only have, I think it's right now, three fosters that are willing to take big dogs. Okay. So we'd like to take more um but right now we can't. Okay. I know that Debbie is one of the people that's a big help for you yes. down there. And so whether it's Debbie or someone else, they find out about a dog and then they have to drive somewhere, right, mm -hmm. to go look at the dog. Absolutely. They or send somebody from their organization, yeah. And they have dog experience to where they will go into the shelter and they will drive anywhere from couple hours maybe half hour to two or yeah. three hours yes. to drive some there on their own time and money and the, to try and save a dog yes and they'll look at the dog in the shelter and mm. they make a professional evaluation based upon how the dog is acting in the cage no they take them out and run them through some temperament evaluations and then if they decide, so they're making their own decisions down there as to what they think would be a good dog for you guys for, for up here. Yeah, they're making a decision to recommend a okay. dog to us. <laughs> and then are they pulling the dog out at that time? They may. I mean, if they've driven two hours, it's like you don't want to go back. They are, they're pulling for other rescues besides us. Though. Oh, okay. 
and they may decide that this dog would be suitable somewhere else but and pull it and bring it home or they may say yeah we have the perfect rescue for this dog or they may just pull it because it would break their heart not to and then they will post it on usually it's Facebook and closed groups for rescues uh -huh. so and say they... I need I need a rescue for this dog right. who's gonna step up and sometimes it's us sometimes it's somebody else so, but when they're posting that on Facebook, is that they've already taken the dog home, or is it staying? They have, the, or is it at the shelter still? Tagged they, it. They've tagged which it, which is the first step. Say yes, I want this dog, and give me you know three days to find a rescue. They've tagged it at the shelter. Yes. And the shelter is basically saying we won't do anything. We won't euthanize right. it for we'll at least. We'll put this seven. dog on hold. Uh, because they have somebody trying to find it at home. Mm -hmm. So Debbie then takes the dog out of the shelter and puts it in her car. But yeah. Yeah, because it's got to go somewhere out of the shelter. Right. So she takes it back to her home, or does she take it to a foster home? She takes it. She takes most of them to her her home. She has the facility to do that. Okay. Both of our rescuers do, our rescue partners. And so the dogs wait there for a number of... Usually it's at least a week. It's a quarantine, and it's a health quarantine for partly. And it's for further temperament testing. Um, because a dog that, has, that comes up here, that crosses the state line, has to have a health certificate. So okay. it has to visit a vet. In California? Yes. And be checked over um, heartworm test. Um, he has to have distemper parvo shot and rabies shot and be certified as a healthy animal before it can enter the state of Oregon. And all that paperwork comes with the dog yes. when the dog comes. Wow. So Debbie does all that work down mm -hmm. there as yep. a volunteer on yep. her own time. Does the vet, does the vet, does she pay for the shots down there? Somebody pays for the shots. Somebody pays for the <laughs> she shots. May, oh, my gosh. She may do what's called sponsoring the dog and pay for that. She may pass that cost along to the receiving rescue. And is the um, shelter that she's pulling the dog, are they charging her to no. release? They don't charge. No, not to a rescue They're release. just happy to have the dog saved. Yeah. So... Um, okay, so they stay at her home, they've got all their medical clearance, and then they can get transported up here. Right. And I know that you guys have done some transport on your own. Right. Plus you've used Rescue Express. Rescue Express. We've also gotten animals through Dog Is My Co-Pilot, which is an air transport, non-profit air transport service. Um, or we do what's called tag team transport somebody from california will drive the animal halfway and somebody from oregon will meet that meet them and transfer the dogs to another vehicle and drive them the rest of the way and everybody's being paid to do this nope nobody's being paid to do this <laughs> yeah. so, so nobody gets paid to go to the shelter, no escape to to uh, to keep the dog at the house. Somebody has to pay for the shots and the medical work, and then nobody gets paid 
to transport the dog up, and we need all these people to get right. a do one dog here at Fido's. We need all these people right. in the process. Now, if it comes on Rescue Express, okay. Rescue Express travels like the entire California all the way up to Oregon and Washington, right? They start in San Diego. And they just make <coughs> dozens of stops at different... They make, I think it's six or eight stops. I think their last stop in California is Lathrop or Redding. And then to pick up. And those are pickup stops. And then they start on up and they stop in Albany, Eugene. They change crews in Eugene. Um, in Oregon, and they make another stop in Tualatin, and then they travel on it to Vancouver. And they're dropping off dogs. And they're cats. dropping off dogs all the way to Seattle, sometimes to Spokane, and they and arrive, sometimes to British Columbia, sometimes what, to Vancouver. And what time do they... So they have a set schedule that they kind of... A pretty, pretty set schedule. Pretty they drive much. on specific days. They start on specific hours, right. and they they stay pretty, pretty close for to that. Pretty pretty much a twenty four hour trip, one way. And they do this once a week. Yes. Okay. So, and then what time do they arrive in Beaverton? Well, they arrive in Tualatin approximately one thirty two o'clock in the morning. It's okay. a Sunday morning. One thirty a.m. on Sunday morning. And someone from Ofasa meets the bus. Somebody who's getting paid. Nope. So it's a volunteer. Yes, a volunteer from Ofasa. meets the bus Ofasa. at one thirty to 2 in the morning on Sunday. That's right. And they drive them up to our Doggy Depot transfer station in Beaverton, where they are pottied fed and put to bed for the night and obviously at this point i mean so the dogs have been on the bus for 14 to 16 hours they're scared they're confused they're totally stressed out and they're totally stressed out okay and so mm. does one volunteer i know you guys sometimes get a lot of dogs and cats do you have to have more than one volunteer to help at times oh it helps Yes, we used to, we have to have pretty much two people to meet the bus. One person goes on the bus, and because it's, you can imagine, it's a school bus. It's a converted school bus, and it's got dog kennels fitted on both sides where the kids would normally sit in the seats. And there would be how many dogs and cats in there? Oh, yeah. up to a hundred. Up to a hundred. Could be. It could be a hundred, and, they're, and they're, they're going to all different rescue organizations up here. And they're all barking and. Crying and confused yeah. and seeking attention and yes, yeah, because they're dogs. And they're they... actually they're pretty quiet. I think on the trip they're tired. They're oh. sleeping. Okay, all right. But one person goes on the bus and and gets the dogs off, takes them out of the kennel on the bus with the paperwork, you know, and hands it down to the person that's waiting on the ground, who then hopefully gets the dog, puts the dog on a slip lead, and so it can go potty, and then. Puts it in the car or the van. Ofasa has a van for transport if it's a fair number of animals. 
But isn't the dog, let's talk about Peaches, because she was the one that just came here. So she gets off the bus, and I'll just use James, because I know he's like super volunteer. He is. He's transport, (laughs) head transport volunteer. So do the dogs, are they at Bark Zone for? Overnight. They're they're overnight. They're transported from Tualatin, where we meet the bus, to Bark Zone, the Bethany Bark Zone in Beaverton. And they spend the night there. And then James or another volunteer goes back. Actually, somebody else goes back in the okay. morning at eight thirty in the morning. At eight thirty, and it's our head dog coordinator Arlene Murray, and as many volunteers as she can gather, usually at least one or two, and the dogs are weighed, um, defleed, dewormed if they need it, and sometimes they need a bath, sometimes they need a little grooming. Um, they always need micro, almost always need a microchip. So she will do that. And then she waits there for the fosters that have volunteered to come and foster the dogs to come and get them and take them home. And we try to get all that done by early-ish Sunday afternoon, 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday, so that they so are actually in a foster home. Then. You're waiting for more volunteers to come to foster the dogs true because they don't come here i mean we we initially we tried this taking the dogs basically from that time period to come here to fido's but we started realizing that it was better to take them to another foster home not directly to fido's because they need to decompress from the trip and putting them in a foster home where they can be re-socialized with a family, um, we can observe them for a little bit longer. Uh, we can make sure that they're going to stay healthy because we know kennel cough takes three to four days to incubate. Right. And it's pretty common in animals that have been kenneled together. For any length of time, one coughs, they all cough. Right. So we keep them in a foster home, treat them for kennel cough if that comes up. We would love to be able to get them spayed or neutered before they come here, but that doesn't always happen. And that doesn't happen because it's just the time you had to you had to have the veterinarian, the vet that yeah we to have do the work. We have a veterinarian that does surgeries one at least once a week and sometimes. There's an extra day thrown in there if we get behind. Right. And so for like, so then Peaches just came here and Lavelle Cavender is a foster who's, she's a volunteer. She is. And she loves dogs. So Peaches comes here and um, I just lost my train. Lavelle picks her up at Fido's or at Bark Zone on Sunday afternoon. Oh yeah. Okay. And takes her home. And she takes her for four to five days, or I think she said she had Peaches for a week. Yeah, they want to make sure that Peaches is settled down, that she's people and dog friendly, because although we would like to take somebody else's word for it, we also like to see for ourselves that that she's going to thrive in an environment with other dogs and people. Now, you said something about their health. I just want to clarify so that, because there might be somebody else thinking about this. Um, you mentioned that when you get the when Arlene shows up, she might deworm them. 
But aren't they dewormed in California? Not necessarily. Because they may not know. Right. If, if they need it. It's just a standard protocol for us, and we don't know. It's a prevention. Okay. Okay. And so... Um, just like fleas are, we give them a flea preventer, too, even so, though we may have to also give them a bath. <laughs> right. Tell me about kennel cough, because that's... I mean, we don't really deal with it here anymore, but in the first month or so, when we were getting some dogs basically right off the bus we were dealing with kennel cough but what what is kennel cough it's a dog cold it's just like when you first send your children to school they start catching colds and bringing them home so it's not serious can i get it no it is no not transferable to people no (laughs) it is not an interspecies type disease but Okay, so Peaches is here at so when Peaches is here at Fido's, and so when people come in here, they're we're confident knowing that all the dogs are under veterinary care. Yes. That they have all their shots. Yes. And that they're as healthy as practical as can be for um, and ready for adoption. Right. They've been behaviorally tested multiple times. Mm-hmm. Which but before they leave California and after they get here. And then Arlene evaluates them again. Yes. And then a foster evaluates them. Mm-hmm. And then they come to Fido's and we constantly monitor them right. as well. Which I think is a testament to your guys in this entire volunteer system process because one of the most regular comments that we get from people is that they can't believe how well-behaved the dogs are and how friendly they are, and it's like, cross your fingers, right? Yeah. (laughs) Because you never know. We certainly try to do everything we can to make sure that's true. Yeah. Oh, and we've had some wonderful dogs. And, you know, and you've been a great ambassador for them, too. Yeah. I love watching you interact with dogs. (laughs) I had a good it one. It makes yet. my heart happy. I had a. I wish I had a video camera in uh, the uh, kennel room yesterday when Peaches came because I put her. I introduced her to the dogs, and then to let her calm down a little bit and get used to things, I put her in the kennel room and I. I went back there with her and uh, there was a big dog pillow on the floor and I laid down, and she eventually came up and snuggled next to me and. We had a little nap together. Oh, nice! <laughs> it was really, it was really sweet. But she's such a, she is climbing the fence to try and find Lavelle. So I had to pull that fence away from the door so she doesn't hurt herself. But anyway, it's amazing how quickly dogs bond. Yeah, their resiliency yeah. is just. One of the incredible traits about them that I love so much, their resiliency and their ability, their desire, their social desire to bond with people is really wonderful. Okay, so we have the dog here, and then a family comes in to Fido's, or perhaps they see it through the Afasa website or the Facebook page, and then they say, what do we have to do to uh, adopt the a dog apply to adopt uh, to apply to adopt I know that you here have 
applications here that you can have them fill out. And then the application comes to OFASA for screening and we look for, based on what we know about the dog, we look for the best fit. Does the family have very young children? Do they have other dogs? Do they have other pets? Um, are there other pets spayed and neutered? Do they have a yard? Do they live in an apartment? Um, what kind of a household is it? <clears throat> and and then if it looks good, we always wait at least three days. Because, mostly because we don't want people to come in here and, you know, have a couple beers and say, oh yeah, I love that dog, <laughs> I want to take that dog home. And do what, you know, yeah. you call your impulse adoption. Yeah. So we want to make sure that they have time to, you know, to think over do they really want to apply to adopt this dog. So once the application comes to OFASA, we let them know we've received the, op the application, that we're reviewing it. You know, thank you for your interest and we'll get in touch with you. And if we have an application that looks like a really good fit for a dog, we will call them or email and make arrangements for a meet and greet with the family, with any other pets they may have, and a representative from OFASA. And if that all goes well, then they can adopt the dog right then. So that's one of the questions. They, a family has another dog or they have a cat, and I get that question commonly is, can we bring our, can we bring our dog in to Fido's to meet the other dog? And they haven't done an application. What, I mean, I tell people, start the process, and then OFASA has the timing to where it is appropriate for you to bring your dog in absolutely to, to me yeah we would not adopt to a family that had another dog without the two dogs meeting right so we what about make cats? Sure they're gonna get... cats how do, you, are... how do you know that peaches or somebody else would get along with their cat um we can tell in general whether the dog will get along with cats cats are independent creatures and if they don't like a dog they'll just go off somewhere and not interact with it at all um, a lot of our foster homes have also have cats so we can do some cat reactivity oh. testing uh -huh. and make sure that the dog is not going to chase and devil the cat but we don't require the cats to meet the dogs because cats don't travel well <laughs> <laughs> and so for for anybody <coughs> that applies here at Fido's then uh, if they're if they have a dog or a cat, I need to just tell them, fill out the application, start the process, and then work with the people that right. know you know how how to how to get your pet uh, what do I acclimated. Say? Acclimated, <laughs> yeah, acclimated. And if it doesn't work out, they don't have to pay anything. Oh, no, they don't I mean, have if, to go through the adoption if, if it doesn't work out. Yes. And there's a couple different ways to do it. We can do a meet and greet here at Fido's. We've done that quite a bit, not with all the dogs at once, obviously, but on the patio they go for a walk together, which is a really good way to introduce two dogs to each other. We can do a home visit. We can take, you know, take the dog, pick him up here at Fido's and take the dog to their home and do it on their home ground. Um, we can do it at a neutral spot. We can do it at Bark Zone. We can do it at the park. 
But there's several different ways that we can introduce the dogs to each other. And talk <clears> about, <throat> so what is the cost to, all that's been approved, and so now the dog has been, you've approved it for adoption. What is the cost that uh, to actually do the adoption? For adult dogs, which we define as a year or older, our adoption fee is $300. That includes all age-appropriate shots, microchip, spay or neuter, whichever is appropriate, um, the worming and the flea control. It includes some um, coupons to PetSmart, and it includes a certificate for a free vet exam. For puppies, um, it's $350 just because it takes us more to get a puppy ready for adoption. But it includes all the same things. Okay. And um, so for $300, they get the volunteers in California. They get the bus ride. They get the person that shows up at 1.30 in the morning. They get another uh, highly trained person to show up at 8 to do the additional temperament testing and medical checks, behavioral checks, and then they go to another volunteer home, and then they come to Fido's, and that part's all free. That's true. Or somebody's been paying some money for things along the way. Right. And Somebody's been paying for gas to transport and vets to give shots. And yeah. So $300 for all that to save one dog in my mind, is not a lot. It's a reasonable fee. It's quite reasonable, and I think I've seen many other charities with that. There are there are organizations that charge a lot more than that. I think there are some that charge less, but not a lot less. And then, of course, the county humane societies are subsidized, so they can make different arrangements, too. Right. But we pretty much try to break even. We are a nonprofit, and we are supported entirely by adoption fees and donations and grants. And um, another common question I get is, why don't you work with more than one charity? Can't you just put the dogs from charity A and the dogs from charity B in that room together so that you have more dogs in there? I suppose that could be feasible, but as a precaution, um, for reasons of disease spreading, for reasons of liability, should there be an incident, um, we like to keep them separate, just mainly for those reasons. Right. Okay. Um... And it doesn't mean that they can't interact with a dog from another charity because I know you do events we have with right. other organizations, but it's not that's not the same as living together. Right. And these dogs all live together, so they are a family, and we kind of need to keep them separate. Yeah. So let's talk. Let's talk briefly about the the volunteers at uh, Ofasa, and perhaps somebody else is interested in working with. Ofasa, or they've been saying, you know, I'd like to volunteer, but I only want to commit a few hours a week. What are some of the things that your volunteers do in different ways to help the charity? And we have volunteers that work with the cats that we have 
for adoption that live in PetSmart stores, similar to the dogs that live here. Um, we have volunteers who help at adoption events where we take all the dogs to one place and for public exposure and so people can adopt them. And those volunteers do things like walk the dogs, um, you know, take them out for their potty breaks, kind of keep an eye on things, sort of a crowd control kind of thing so that once again we don't have little kids sticking their fingers in pens. We have volunteers who help with our surgical facility for um, recovery after anesthesia. We have volunteers who do fundraising for us. We have volunteers who work with Arlene or Renee uh, on intake, you know, um, which is basically getting the dog examined and into our database. Um, and of course we have fosters who are volunteers as well. We have volunteers who help with the transport, who help James take animals on and off the bus and into Bark Zone. Um, that's, I, that's about all I can think of right now. We have volunteers that come and do laundry, you know, take laundry home with them. Right. We okay. go through a lot of towels and blankets and stuff So like what that. would it take for somebody to, I mean, I've been trying to attract people to be fosters for Fido's fosters. What's the difference between a foster, a Fido's foster and just a regular foster that you would have? Actually, there's a couple key differences. The big one is that um, someone who Fido's fosters for Fido's has a fairly finite amount of time that they know they're going to be keeping the dog before the dog will be brought to Fido's. Um, a person who, who fosters for Ofasa as a general foster will keep that dog as a foster until the dog is adopted. And that also includes transporting the dogs to adoption events, um, taking them for vet appointments, although you do that too. Yeah. <laughs> halfway. Or half, halfway, half the halfway. trip. Yeah, half the trip. Um, so it can be a little bit more open-ended for an Ofasa foster. But I think the longest anybody has kept a foster for you is probably two weeks, maybe I three weeks. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because we use those dogs as a backup so that when one is adopted here, we try to have another dog that's ready to come right. in. So that or it's because they're being treated for kennel cough or right. you know, whatever. Yeah. Or they're not quite socialized enough to come here. Okay. Last couple items. So, Chris, do you have dogs of your own? I do. Okay, so tell me about your dogs. I have a 12-and-a-half-year-old border collie um, that we affectionately call Psycho Dog because uh, she has a tendency to be kind of fear-reactive. So I could never bring myself to give her up because I know nobody else would have adopted her. Uh-huh. <laughs> I also have two cats. And two cats. Okay. Right. And they have divided the house between them. The cats have the upstairs, the dog has the downstairs. <laughs> so what do the cats do if the dog walks upstairs? I just like 
You right. can see there, if you look down the hallway, the bedrooms are upstairs, and you can look down the hallway as the dog comes up the stairs, and you can see these little <laughs> cat heads peeking out around the doorway. <laughs> around the, and then they disappear back under the bed or up on the bed or wherever it is they want to be, but that's their territory. What is one of your most memorable experiences in Ofasa in terms of working with the dogs, either an adoption or a special dog that you recall? Actually, it probably is my most memorable and rewarding experiences. Um, we had a transport in August, and on that transport was a little dog that we were told might be pregnant. And what happens to a pregnant dog in a shelter in California is probably the dog, along with her puppies, will be euthanized because the shelter can't deal with it. So this little dog came in, and they said, maybe pregnant. Well, within two weeks, that dog ballooned. <laughs> and we watched her carefully. She went to a foster home, and we watched her carefully until it became pretty obvious that she was going to deliver those puppies sometime in the next 12 to 24 hours. And... I was there when that dog delivered six oh. healthy puppies. Oh, I haven't seen. I haven't seen. And it's it's an amazing birth. experience. I mean, animals they have this innate maternal instinct. Her name was Bindi, and she has been adopted. Her puppies were just put up for adopted for adoption a week ago, at ten weeks. Wow. And she was adopted practically from the moment one of our volunteers saw her this little wiry-haired terrier and she delivered these six perfect puppies and you know she licked them and nursed them and it's really amazing to watch them do that yeah and that's happened to me twice twice I've gotten to witness a birth and help with it wow that's nice um so Chris if somebody <clears throat> wanted to contact the charity and just do anything to work with the charity or perhaps um, lead some or adopt or lead somebody else to adoption what is the website and the contact information the website is our initials it's o-f-o-s-a which is really hard to say because f and s sound the same but it's oregon friends of shelter animals those three initials dot o-r-g there is information on the website about volunteering including an online application you can fill out to volunteer. Also about fostering, and there is a foster application on the website. There is also information on all of our available animals, pictures, um, and information on what the adoption process is. You can contact us through the website. We have a Facebook page, which, I don't, which is just Oregon Friends of Shelter Animals. Um, our phone number is on the website, and that is also answered by a volunteer, so you might not get <laughs> yeah. an answer back or you know, yeah. a response right away. Yeah. But um, Or email info at ofasa.org. Okay. Well, Chris, thanks, for, thanks very much for taking all this time 
to spend with it. This is probably longer than all the other. Well, it is a lot longer yeah. than all the other interviews because it's uh, because I work directly with you, and I want people to understand the enormous amount of work that goes on behind the scenes to to rescue one dog because it is a lot of people in that chain to get the dog up it's here kind of amazing, to isn't it? Fido's. And um, my dream is for this business to thrive so that we can rescue a lot of dogs, get you guys more exposure to, uh, to the community in which you would typically never receive exposure and then also highlight exactly all the hard work and the dedication that you and so many all other volunteers do to save these wonderful pets because I just love them. I just love them. <laughs> I love them all. So. They love you too. Yeah. I've seen it. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. We're back in 2019, and it just amazes me that Oregon Friends of Shelter Animals can keep going with the extensive volunteer network that they have. If they don't have the volunteer down in the Stockton area to pull the dogs out of the shelter, the dogs don't come up. So there is this huge chain. It relies upon the goodwill of people spending their time, oftentimes their money, and it's just a wonderful organization and it keeps going and it's one of the big reasons why I just want to do my best to help with this unique business, Fido's. Uh, I want to thank um, Chris Hill, Super Volunteer, James, Arlene, Ann Summers, Renee, there's a board of directors, there's all the people that volunteer for the small things to the big thing, all the fosters that work with OFASA and with FIDOs. OFASA even coordinates volunteers to come over to FIDOs and give the dogs some extra loving and some extra time because we can't dedicate as much time as we would like to just I'd love to just spend all day with them, but uh, that's not practical. So thanks for listening, and thanks for helping us to eat, drink, and adopt. This podcast is a production of Fido, the world's first dog tap house. For more information, visit us at ilovefidos.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Fidos Tap House.